0: So what is it with the spiritual life and wandering in dry, inhospitable places? Why does seeking God always involve these rocky, bare landscapes with wild beasts roaming around? I don't know. I mean, I have some guesses maybe, but I'm not sure why is even always a helpful question, though I know we all ask it. I don't know why life with God always seems to go this way, but it's a pretty well-established pattern. Tons of people in the scriptures wandering, leaving, sojourning in the middle of nowhere, more or less on purpose. We have Abraham, who is the wandering Aramean, called to leave his home. Get up and go, says Yahweh, lech lecha, get up and go. Get out of your country, your parents' house, go to a place I will show you. He has no idea where he's going. But apparently Abraham knew that it was time to move. And Jacob, who is also referenced in our Deuteronomy reading, wandered from home out of desperation and necessity. It was a time of famine and mass starvation, And he went to Egypt to save the family. And as you might remember, because his son Joseph, who was already there, got them some land, they stayed. Until, as we hear in the next part of the Deuteronomy reading, the situation was so intolerable and oppressive that God called the tongue-tied and very reluctant Moses to lead them on another intentional leaving and wandering. After which this newly formed people of God spent a whole generation out wandering in the wilderness. And we see today that Jesus also wandered on purpose. In fact, not unlike Abraham, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilds. Now, you notice that most of these people were hungry. Jacob and most of his children and grandchildren escaping from famine. And centuries later, this nation who grew out of that family, the mixed company of recently liberated slaves, you might remember them complaining to Moses, Were there no graves in Egypt? Did you take us all the way out here just to starve in the wilderness? And Jesus, of course, in our text is fasting, a discipline that deepened his prayers and heightened his need to rely on God. What was it like in the wilderness? Some of you have been to the Middle East and you know what it looks like and what it feels like. It's pretty bare in a lot of places in the off season, in the non rainy season, it's pretty rocky. How did he even survive? Even if you take into account that in the scripture, 40 days is kind of code for a long time, even if it were just two weeks. I suppose he knew or had to ask where the natural springs were, where to find water. Maybe he followed the cattle and the sheep to their watering places. Where did he even sleep? What kinds of animals did he see? Did he take shelter in a cave to get out of the beating sun? That's a long time to be out. Did he wonder why the spirit led him there and what this had to do with good news? All of these wanderers were uncertain about the future. All of them had to face their appetites and their unmet needs out there and found God in the midst of them. All of them had some things to learn out in the wilderness. And if we take time to notice it, which we often don't, we too are hungry for more than food. And yet, it's just when we're in a really rough spot that we're most easily pulled off of center. It's when we're feeling desperate or deeply sad or like we're failing that temptations are most tempting. When we most need to slow down and notice our deeper hungers is when we most want a fix, a distraction, something to take our minds elsewhere. It sounds nice to meet God in the pain, but what we really want is for it to just go away. Who wants to take the long way around if the scenery is nothing to write home about? Everybody wishes for a shortcut. There's no shame in that. Why is it that growth and wisdom and new life so often come out of pain and dislocation? From childbirth to learning a new skill to learning to pray. Can't we just skip the struggle? But it seems the wilderness is necessary. We just have too many defenses build up against actually letting God mess around in there, in our most sacred inner spaces. Or actually even in our outer spaces, I mean let God mess with how I manage my money, that's not something we're always eager to do. It's easier to take care of it ourselves. So we do this every year because there's always something new to be learned in the places where we're alone and without some of our usual comforts. Every year the wilderness has something to teach us an invitation through death to life. And without the wandering and wrestling and praying of these 40 days, we aren't nearly as astonished as we ought to be when resurrection finally comes. Even Jesus had to learn right away that there is no way through but through. And he had choices to make at the very beginning. How would he use his power? What would he do with the knowledge that he was God's beloved, what he had just heard before he went out into the wilderness? Would he trade on God's pleasure with him to satisfy his immediate needs? Would he expect to be spared at all costs from dashing his foot against a stone? Would he throw all of his energy into governing the nations with justice and showing the Romans what divine rule really looked like? There was precedent, after all, for sweeping in with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Apparently, this was not what the Spirit led him into the wilderness to become. Instead, he stays hungry. He chooses smallness, the long way around, the long way around to justice, not forcing anything and not expecting special favors from his father. If this is Jesus' call and choice, what else can we do? Jesus walks his path all the way into death and through death Showing us how it is to let ourselves be hungry. To find friends who will walk the path with us. To let go of knowing how it will turn out. And to trust God even when we're full of fear and desperate for a way out. This kind of trust is nurtured and deepened through a life of deepening prayer. And if prayer to you sounds like something, I don't know, if prayer is not appealing, if that word doesn't work for you, what I mean is an expanding awareness that we dwell in God, that we are filled with God, are breathe and move and are sustained in the very life of God. Why do we have Lent every year? This dying and rising pattern is not something we're likely to internalize if we don't do it at least partly on purpose. The church hands us these 40 days as another opportunity to pattern our lives after Christ. And if we find ourselves wandering and disoriented in this particular moment anyway, it's a chance to be attentive And open to encountering the holy as we move through, as we go to a place we don't yet know. It's a chance to make some more peace with the inevitable letting go that we would rather avoid. Maybe it's time to become a little less afraid of releasing ourselves into God's keeping without any guarantees just as Jesus did. Six weeks is long enough to feel it, but safe enough to try some things out. And so, speaking of trying things out, a word from our sponsors. Now, sponsors are things you can't do this without, right? So, we can't do this without intentional prayer. And Todd and I are offering three possibilities for disciplines to try out during this time. One is to try wandering our city prayerfully and noticing the people around you, noticing whatever creatures you come across, the structures that are around you, And you could do this near your house or you could do it in some place that you don't usually walk. And as you walk, I encourage you to be aware of your breath, to note the level of tension in your body, and especially when your thoughts wander, take some moments just to stand still and feel your feet in contact with the earth. And the weight of your body holding you in place. To be present where you are. And to hold anyone and anything around you in God's loving presence. As Todd mentioned by email, the Anabaptist prayer book, Take Our Moments and Our Days, is a really excellent way to enter into prayer. And this is especially if you feel like you can't pray or you have felt like that recently or... It offers some structure, and at the same time, it has open-ended spaces to offer your own desires and concerns. And it, it helps us to move beyond just ourselves. So it starts with us, with ourselves, neighbors, the wider church, and the world. It weaves in scripture, and actually, it could potentially be good as a household to do, um, even with older kids who read. Or you could pick and choose Um, At the beginning and in different sections, they have Zachariah's song and Mary's song. Maybe you could just say that together um, if you're doing it with kids. So I've used this in a whole lot of settings, and with different groups, I'm happy to talk more about possibilities. And if you're an imaginative type, or if visualizing things helps you to internalize them, I would challenge you to take one of the lectionary scriptures for the week, And imagine yourself as somebody in the story, so any of the characters at all. And take that on and imagine, like, what is at stake for you? What do you notice? And if it's a gospel story, what does, if Jesus turns to you, what what does he say? If it's Old Testament, how do you interact with God in the story? Now, these are all related to the classic discipline of fasting, fasting. Now actual fasting not eating tends to heighten our awareness of our desires. Obviously at the moment we want food, but by practicing not getting our way with that basic part of our lives, we become more aware of other parts of ourselves or deeper hungers that we've ignored or just not seen clearly. It tends to make praying easier, For one thing, we have some extra time and we want to set our mind on something. But it it makes us more vulnerable to God and a little more open. But all of these things are ways of making space. What is it time for you to stop doing or just to set aside for a time so that you can do something different and be open to the next step with God? So how might you open a window of time in your life to pay attention to pay attention to your own heart and allow God to come and to heal and to minister and stir in your spirit. A few years ago my congregation back in Allentown in the Allentown area sponsored a Karen refugee family. They were from Burma. We called them The Alberts, because the grandfather's name was Albert, and they didn't really use last names. And more and more, this was a family that we had a really good relationship with over time, and more and more Corinne families have come to that area over the years. And some have also continued to connect with Whitehall Mennonite Church. And I was a regular Sunday morning driver. We would arrange transportation. It became more and more gigantic of a job to figure out how we were getting all these people. And not just the Corinne folks, but many people in our congregation needed a ride to church on Sunday mornings. So I was often sent to the new, what we called the new family because um, we kept forgetting their names when they first came. And it was not far from our house, and there were two school-aged girls now Willian and Ayerpa, And nobody, or almost nobody in the family, spoke English. And these children had not ridden in cars before. And the road to, from Allentown to Whitehall Mennonite was somewhat curvy, and inevitably Willian would start to feel sick. And I remember this helpless feeling, especially when it was daily to Bible school, <laughs> just knowing that she was miserable in the back seat and all we could really do was open the windows. Now, I can't imagine what that experience, that particular wilderness was like for them. Traveling from a refugee camp to a plane to this strange place that gets way too cold and has these, all these cars, and what in the world, where am I? On the other hand, as they went through their their own wilderness, they also had the Corinne community in Allentown. And I hope they felt welcome and loved with us at Whitehall. Our own stories are not usually that dramatic, but at times I know we also feel absolutely sick in the midst of the twists and the turns and the unknowns And finding that we're in good company can make a difference. We are not only, we are in a long line of people who longed for God and listened to God and trusted and followed and still had no idea where they were going most of the time. Or when they would get there or when or how they would eat. And we also know the difference that it makes to have loving fellow wanderers in the present who are along for the ride with us? And how will we continue to be loving wanderers alongside some of our fellow human beings who have suffered things that we can barely imagine and just like us need some reliable traveling companions? What is it that we, even as a congregation, will need to let go of in order to open our hands to strangers Who will become, by God's grace, sisters and brothers, much loved? What will we leave behind to go to the place God will show us? This coming Thursday, we're going to host an informational meeting with Church World Services just to gauge our interest in sponsoring a refugee family. If I'm honest, after seeing how our small congregation of Whitehall had rallied to show hospitality and love to Albert's family, and how they continue to open themselves in pretty radical ways to the Corinne community in Allentown, I said to Bruce, Well, we're so much bigger, couldn't we host two families? Now, this is I, not the Lord, speaking, just to be clear. It was, you know, it's just a wondering. We're like three times their size, it was just a wondering. And honestly, truly, I don't know whether God's calling us to host a couple of refugee families or many other things that God might be calling us to as a community. And I don't know exactly what kind of letting go and making space will be required of us to continue saying yes to God as a community, but there will be those things to release and leave behind. And I want to become with you more and more of a community that can discern the movement of the spirit among us and come as a body to a joyful yes. And this, of course, takes practice. And it helps if we practice by ourselves as well. So another reason to take up the invitation to some kind of simple discipline for this season. The scene in Deuteronomy gives us a sweeping vision that looks back. Back to the freedom that God created for the people in their time of great need. And it looks ahead. Because at the end of that, they're having a party. They're having a banquet with the foreigners and the landless ones among them. And it's a foretaste of that banquet that we will all sit down together to eat. And Jesus in the desert, is getting ready for what comes in between. And moving through it faithfully seems to give him courage for the next thing, if you'll look at what comes after that in Luke 4. What we can be assured of is that God is meeting us in all of our places of wilderness and wandering. This week, I saw a congregation of robins in our tree behind our house, coming and going and hanging out and doing nothing at all, it seemed, above the snow and beneath the blue sky. And for me, this gathering of robins was a reminder that life still persists even in the barren season. The beauty and the hope of the wilderness might be less spectacular but it's there so let us be awake and willing wanderers so that we can receive the lush green joy that is surely coming with a deeper gratitude may it be so